Matthew chapter 6, we are coming to the end of our series on the Lord's Prayer. And I have to confess to you that I'm a little sad to be finishing it. Um, I feel like the Lord has just really opened up this prayer for me during this series, and I don't know if you've gotten anything out of it or not. I hope, hopefully you got something good um, along the way. But um, I feel like the Lord has really taught me the principles of this, of this passage, and uh, I want to, I want to, uh, I want to remember them. I want to live by them. I want to pray by them. Seems that this morning's service has had a theme. Jimmy said it was anchors, but I'm not sure that's exactly the theme this morning. Seems like it's been that God will walk with us, will be with us, will hold us in the midst of our trials. And wouldn't you know, that's this morning's message. I don't know if uh, they were predicting what I was going to preach. They, of course, the series, they knew, they knew what verses I was preaching from. But uh, I want you to know before I begin that if you're going through a trial, if this service has been for you, I want you to know that God is going to hold you in the midst of your trial. And I want you to also know that if you share the trial that you're going through with us, we will do our very best to hold you up in the place of prayer. And if, it, if we can do something to alleviate that trial, we'll be happy to do that as a church. We don't walk alone. Thank God. Amen. And I just believe that when services have themes, especially when we haven't done it on purpose or we haven't engineered that. And I don't mind engineered themes. I'm not, I'm not speaking against that necessarily. But, but when God engineers the theme, it makes me convinced that there are those that need that theme or will soon need that theme. And uh, I just want you to know if, if you were the one or if you were one of many who needed this service, I want you to know that God cares enough to orchestrate it for you, and he'll see you through. Matthew chapter 6, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. I would like to just remind you of Luke 11, 1, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, and uh, he gives the Lord's prayer there in Luke, but um, Matthew's uh, version of the Lord's prayer is a little more common, uh, to us. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Lord, 
I'm so glad that you're our shepherd. I'm so glad that when we need you, that you're not far away. Thankful, Lord, that when our trials are minor or whether they're major, that you care about them. There's never been a time that we've come to you with a problem that you said that problem's too small for me to deal with. But you've always walked with us and you've always helped us. Father, as we come to this part of the service, we ask for your help one more time. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us not to confuse, but help us to help. And Lord, may you be glorified and honored in it. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. The five R's of prayer. The first is our relationship with God. And thank the Lord that he's our Father. Then, of course, the reign of God, that he's in control of this whole world, and he's in control of us. And then, of course, our reliance on God. We are dependent on him for all of our needs. We couldn't take one step without him. And then last week, we talked about reconciliation. Being reconciled with God also requires that we seek to be reconciled with each other. And then finally, the Lord wants us to remember and to pray for the refuge that we have in God, that He is our refuge, He's our help, He's our strong and mighty tower. The Scripture, Jesus tells us that we are to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as soon as we say that, if, if you are one who's well-versed in the Scriptures, this seems a little odd of a prayer for the Lord not to lead us into temptation, especially when James tells us, don't ever say that God tempted us. Because God is not evil. He can't tempt us to evil. So don't even say that. And yet... Here, Jesus tells us to pray that God won't lead us into temptation. And then let's just muddy the waters a little more because that's what we like to do. Because the Bible tells us in Genesis that the Lord did tempt Abraham and said to take your son, your only son Isaac, and, and sacrifice him to me on Mount Moriah. Wow, isn't this, isn't this good and clear? And I'm sure I can just call on any one of you and you all would be happy to explain how God did tempt Abraham. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. And James says that God can't tempt us, that he won't tempt us because he's not evil. And so I'm sure I could pick on any one of you and you'd understand, be able to explain it in a way we could understand. Any volunteers? Oh, of course not. <laughs> I'll tell you that I have spent a long time actually trying to get to the understanding of this passage. Help to try to bring these three things, these, especially these three verses that seem to not, they, just on the surface, they seem to contradict themselves. And we say, of course, that the scriptures never contradict themselves. So how is it that God did tempt Abraham, lead us not into temptation, and then James says at the end, almost the end of the Bible, God can't tempt anyone. He can't tempt people to evil. How does this all work? 
Well, some people have tried to translate this passage to pray, Lord, don't leave us in temptation. But that's not anywhere in the Greek. You can't really see that there. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And the other thing is, is God's promise never to leave us nor forsake us. We don't need to pray, Lord, don't leave us in temptation. He never does. So that translation doesn't, that doesn't really work. And besides, that doesn't really deal with Genesis with Abraham and, not, and God tempting Abraham. How is this all going to work? I think there's a couple of ways that, this can, that we can understand this. First of all, I believe that this is a prayer for us not to be put into situations in which our faith will be tried. This is not a, a, a temptation of of, uh, to sin, but a situation in which we will be placed in that can cause our, ourselves to be tempted. Let's go back to Genesis with, with Abraham. Did God tempt Abraham to commit sin? No. He tempted him, he put him in a situation in which Abraham's faith was put on trial. His faith was put on trial. Now, Satan the tempter came along, I'm sure. The scriptures don't tell us this, but any, I think any of us that have dealt with the devil at all would know that while Abraham is making his way to Mount Moriah, that Satan is whispering in his ear, don't obey God. You can't trust God in a situation like this. God said that he would give you a son, and now he's given you this son, and now he wants you to kill him. And he said this was the son of promise. And, all of it, and, and, and Satan is sitting there on, on Abraham's shoulder, I have to believe, telling Abraham, you can't trust God. Don't obey God. See, Satan is the one tempting to evil. It is Satan saying, don't do it. Don't obey God. Commit sin in your heart. Don't, don't take your son up there and sacrifice him. Whatever you do, you can't trust God in this situation. Just like he did to Eve. You can't trust God when he says, don't touch this fruit. Don't eat this fruit. When he says that, he's lying to you. He's keeping something from you. He's trying to take good from you. See, God is, did never tempted Abraham to do something evil. What he did was place a trial, a trial in his path that tested his faith. And while he's going through this trial, here comes, here comes the devil to then pull Abraham away from the faith to bring sin, to do evil. So God never, in this process with Abraham, there is no temptation to do wrong. Okay? The temptation here, the tempting is a situation, a trial of our faith that puts us in a place where we are 
then vulnerable to the temptation of the enemy. Not only is, is it, do, do I think that it can be a trial, but I think it also can be a, a situation where we would be weakened to tempt, to be tempted. An example of this might be when we remember when we did our series on uh, the uh, temptations of Christ, and we remember that the scriptures say that after Jesus came up out of the water in the baptism, that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He allowed, in fact, he leads Jesus. He, in fact, he, this is interesting. The Holy Spirit does the exact opposite of what Jesus asked us to pray. I think this is important for us to understand. The Holy Spirit leads the Lord into the wilderness to be tempted. And Jesus is saying to us, Pray that the Lord doesn't do the same thing to you. Pray that it doesn't happen to you, that, that you are going to be the one being led into the wilderness, led into a difficult place where Satan is allowed to tempt you and test you and try you. This week, I didn't get a chance to read the article, but we uh, in the mail came our Voice of the Martyr magazine and... and on the front cover was a person praying, and, and the, in bold letters, of course, the article that they wanted us to, to catch uh, our attention, the big article title was, Praying for a Cross. I looked over at my wife and I said, I don't need to pray for a cross, I have plenty enough now. I, don't know, I didn't read the article, but I don't remember anywhere where God tells us to pray for a cross. You know, he tells us to take up our cross. I don't think we have to ask God for one. I think there's plenty to go around. Now, maybe what they meant by that, and again, I didn't read it, is to pray for a burden, and certainly we should be praying for a burden. That God would not allow us to be indifferent to the needs and the hurts of other people. But I think a burden is very different than a cross. And as we sang today and, and, and heard sung to us about, uh, about how we go through trials and we go through difficulties, our trials put us in places of spiritual weakness to temptation. They put us on in a case where our faith is tried. Makes us vulnerable to temptation. I wish that if we prayed this prayer that we would, we would always get off. No temptation. But it isn't, it isn't a prayer that we won't face temptation. First of all, I really believe that this is a, a prayer of dependence. I can't make it by myself. I can't stand in my own strength, Lord. I can't, Lord, under temptation... If it were up to me under uh, my willpower, I would give in every single time. And let's be honest, if you had to fight the uh, 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 temptation in your own strength and your own willpower, you would give in every single time. Temptation lures us away with our own desires. And those desires do not have to be wrong. They don't have to be wicked. They can be wonderful, they can be acceptable, 
But Satan would want us to, to do it in the wrong way or in the wrong spirit or, or uh, somehow to, to go outside of the bounds that God has placed on our desires. The Bible tells us that if we think that we stand, we should take heed lest we fall. I read a story this this week, and I really feel like this illustrates so powerfully the point. During the reign of Bloody Mary, of course, she was killing the Protestants, and that's why she got the nickname Bloody Mary. Two men, two brothers in Christ, happened to be captured and were to face the stake the next day. They were in a, in a crowded cell. Different believers were... Uh, were there, and one of the men, he told everyone, he says, I am confident that I'm going to stand in the midst of, of the flame. He says, in fact, I'm looking forward to tomorrow and facing the stake like a bride looks forward to her wedding. He says, I cannot wait to demonstrate my faith in God. I am so grounded in the Gospels and so grounded in my love for the Lord I am looking forward to tomorrow. The other man who was to be condemned and face the, the stake was the, quite the opposite. He was weak, and he knew he was, and he, and he said, I, brothers, he says, pray for me. He, said, he says, I've never been one to like suffering very much. He says, I've always been weak to, and vulnerable to suffering. He says, I'm... He said, I don't want to deny my Lord, but I'm really afraid that when I'm facing the fire that I'm going to give in. He said, he said, brothers, pray for me. Please pray for me. I don't want to deny my Lord tomorrow. And he was weeping. And the other brother criticized him for his lack of faith. The next morning, soldiers came and took them to the stake. And the brother who was bold, once he realized that the fire was coming, recanted and left in an apostate state. But the brother who was weak stood firm. And while, he was, while they burned his body, he was rejoicing and praising the Lord all the while until he took his final breath. You see, there is this belief that we're more spiritual the more we say we can stand and the more that we talk about standing and, and talk about how spiritual we are and, and we can face those trials and we can face those battles. But, but folks, this, we are dependent on God. We are completely dependent upon God. And as soon as we think that we have it together, we better be concerned. One of the dangers I believe that we face, especially as holiness people, is that we don't talk enough, I believe, about the vulnerability that even holiness people are to commit sin. We face a vulnerability. And thank God for the carnal nature being taken out. Thank God that we don't have to face the enemy from within. But we have an enemy without. 
And I believe that the enemy of our soul gets special glee out of bringing down a holiness individual. Because, you know, they're so careful. They're careful in their living, and they're careful in their dress. They're careful the way they talk. I mean, a lot of Christians, they're not as careful, but I got one. I tricked one up. I got one who, was, who believed that they were okay because they got sanctified. That they, they didn't guard their heart because they had gotten sanctified. And they, they thought that because their heart was taken care of, that the carnal nature was cleansed out, that, that I couldn't get them, but I did. And how and you know, what amazes me is when one of our number falls, it seems like they fall hard and fast. I mean, they go from being almost legalistic and sometimes legalistic to suddenly they're so far out that the, other, the rest of the church world are saying, what is with you people? Why have you swung so far? You're, you're even further than us. What happened to you? Oh, I was raised in a legalistic church. I, got, I, I found freedom. You didn't find freedom. You found a life of not being careful. There's a big difference between freedom and carelessness. There's a big difference. You can, you know, it, when I walk over to the parsonage from here, I can be a little careless. I don't have to, I mean, I don't really have to watch where I'm going. I've walked that many times backwards and forth. I am pretty well can know the not going to be very many vehicles that cross. I can be a little careless. But have you ever tried to walk in an unfamiliar place in the dark? Visiting someone and you get up in the night and you don't want to turn the light on to just to bother anybody, but you need to use the restroom. And how often do you stub your toe, even though you were careful? Were you, did you lose your freedom because you were careful? No. There's a difference between carelessness and freedom. And oftentimes, those that fall back don't realize that when they say they have freedom, what they really mean is they have found carelessness. We need to be dependent upon the Lord because this is a walk that requires great carefulness. I don't want, I don't want to let down I don't, want to, I don't want to get to the place where I'm so comfortable in my walk that I become so careless that I can't see that the enemy has laid a trap for me. It's a prayer of dependence. I also believe it's a prayer of deliverance. Deliver us from evil. We face habits that are not always healthy. And some people that come to Christ, they come with their addictions and they come with their problems and their failures. It amazes me this, this week that another research has come out. There is no gay gene. They have found that out. And of course there's, you know, the... People are trying to spin it their, their own way, but basically at the end of the day, the researchers have found there's no gay gene. 
And people are, you know, on both sides, you know, well, that doesn't mean anything, and yeah, it does, and what, whatever. You know, it wouldn't have bothered me if they found one. There's a gene for alcoholism. It doesn't bother me one way or another. But what is, does concern me is this. We get caught up in our lifestyles. We get caught up in our choices. And this is what we say. That's just me. And even holiness folks, I'll hear that. That you just have to take me for who I am. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that? We, ha we have a responsibility to live peaceably with all men and holiness. But we only want to preach about the holiness part. That's not about living peaceably with each other. I want to be cranky. I want what's coming to me. You well, I'm just, a, I'm just a big mama's bear. I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to protect my cubs. Are you protecting your cubs or are you just being carnal? Wow, that was really silent. <laughs> Jimmy, make some noise. <laughs> I mean, really? Are you protecting your children or are you just having a carnal fit and you're saying it's in defense of your children? Are you taking your stand for Christ or are you just being irritable and ornery? You know, there's a nice way and then there's a, 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 a very... Sometimes preaching, there's not the words that we want to use and some people get offended. So pardon me for saying this. It's going to be even recorded. Oh boy. Are you standing for the faith or are you being a jerk? I hope that's not too strong of a language this morning. Well, I got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Then go back to bed and get up on the other side. I mean, are we going to excuse our bad moods and our bad behavior and just say that, that you, Jesus loves me the way I am? Well, I do too, but don't stay that way. Thank God he loved me enough to reach his hand down and pull me out of the pit, but thank God he pulled me out of the pit and put me on the rock. He loved me in the pit, but he didn't leave me there. And let's just be honest, some of you people act like you're still in the pits. Come on out. The Lord loves us where the way we are, but he loves us enough to get us out of where we are and put us on a good path. This is a prayer of deliverance. Lord, deliver us from evil. Don't let me excuse it. Don't let me, don't let me take it in and... And just say it's just who I am and it's a part of You know what? Your habits and your, and your, your things that you face, the, sometimes even discouragements and so forth, some of that is stuff we have chosen for ourselves. There's people that a bad thing happens to them and they 
they, oh, that was bad, but Lord's going to help me, and I'm going to go on, and I, I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to let it ruin me. And there's some people that they've lived their whole life perseverating on this one bad thing that ever happened to them. And every time you talk to them, all they want to talk about is how they were hurt or wronged or sinned against or whatever the case might be. And they've made that evil their whole being. And when we become when we become a victim of one thing, and that's what our identity becomes, folks, we're in danger. Our identity is supposed to be in Christ, not in what's happened to us. And I'm not trying to be un, uh, uncourteous here. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm not trying to say that what happened to you wasn't horrible and, and wicked and, and, and all of that stuff. This, we live in a wicked world with wicked people. And you know what? Sometimes it's even Christians that are the ones that hurt us. But are we going to allow ourselves to be determined by what someone else chose? Are you going to choose to become that and live that? Are you going to allow the, your eternal destination to be determined because of how someone else chose to behave? And let me be honest with you, if not for God, I believe almost all of us, if not all of us, would do that. We would do that. We can. You know, we can, you know, the counseling, we've been made fun of because, you know, it's mama's fault because of the way she potty trained us. Big joke. You know, it's sad that that's where we've gotten to. Well, the reason I'm this way is because my dad never said he loved me. I'm, I'm this way because my mom never hugged me. I'm this way. Well, thank God you don't have to stay that way. I'm not saying it's not going to affect you. I'm not saying it's not a, a, a sore spot. But thank God he's able to deliver thee. And we don't have to allow this world to determine how we live. Not when it comes to sin, not when it comes to attitudes, and not when it comes to the way that we think. He's able to deliver thee. It's a grandest theme. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now I understand. Now let me, let me just back up just a, just a half a step here. I understand that there's some people that get addictions and they go and they get saved and maybe even try to get sanctified, maybe even get sanctified, and they don't feel like their addictions go away. And God doesn't deliver them. Like some people testify, I got saved and I threw out the cigarettes and never had a desire to smoke one again. Well, praise God, that's a great testimony. And there's other people who say, I got saved and all I wanted to do was smoke a cigarette as soon as I got out the door. And there's some people that struggle and fought and struggle and fought and struggle and fought, and yet they got victory over their addiction. That's a good testimony, too. I believe that the reason, and I might be wrong about this scripture, it's not clear, but I believe with all my heart the reason that some people are not delivered is because if they got an easy deliverance, it would be easy for them to go back to it. Sometimes... Sometimes God in His grace gives us a full deliverance right then and there. 
And we sing, long ago I gave them up and instantly, and I think there's some people that sit in our pews and maybe squirm at that. Some people, they don't give them up instantly. Remember, we, don't, we get our theology from the Bible, not from our hymns. Hopefully our hymns have good theology. Some people struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle, but they do their best to eventually by God's grace and help. It's not a once and done deliverance, but it's a daily deliverance or maybe even a moment by moment deliverance. Lord, I don't have the will power to give up the, this addiction. I don't have the strength, the strength to do it. I, don't, I can't give it up. I, I, it, it's, I've been doing it so long that, that, that it's a part of me, and it is. Your brain's wired that way, and the, your body's producing chemicals that way, and you've got to have it. But thank God he can give us moment-by-moment moment deliverance if he doesn't give us a complete deliverance. I think this is a theology that needs to be spoken of more often because I, I'm afraid that we've got people that are lost, out there lost, they're backslidden, and the reason they're backslidden is they didn't get a one-and-done deliverance and they feel like they didn't get saved or that God doesn't love them as much as someone else. And so they go back out to the world because they say, and this is their words, I can't live it. Let's go back to point one. We can't. This is a prayer of dependence. But this is a, God is able to deliver thee, whether it's in a moment and instantaneously, or whether it's a day-by-day, step-by-step deliverance, fighting all the way. But he's able. He's able to keep you, whether he delivers you once and done, or whether he delivers you step-by-step. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for his deliverance. Amen. Amen. This is a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of deliverance. But I believe it's also a prayer of defense. This passage probably would be more accurately, according to the Greek, be, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, folks, we have an enemy. We have someone that's not only... Us, and let me just be honest, I'm my own biggest enemy sometimes. But we have someone who's actively working against us. And he's smarter than me, and he's craftier than me, and he's stronger than me, and he's probably everything else more than me. And against him, I would fail. In fact, the scripture tells us, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. There's never been one person, save our Lord, who has been able to successfully resist the devil their entire life. All of us have blown it. Because he's that much more than us. But as big and scary as he is, he's no match for our Lord. You know, there's so many religions in the world talk about yin and yang and, and these 
this idea that good and evil are in a cosmic battle and they're, they're equal and they're constantly they're e- e- good and evil are going backwards and forth and there's, there's perfect balance between good and evil. You cannot, you, one will not triumph over the other. That is the, one of the great religious lies of the world. And I think it creeps up into, into our churches where we think that God and Satan are in this cosmic battle and it's pretty equal. I want you to know that all the Lord has to do is think the thought and our enemy is gone. It's not a fair fight. This is a terrible, uh, terribly small, inaccurate illustration, but it's like you versus an ant. And God is, is able to squash the devil like you would an ant. At a moment's notice, it is not a fair fight. Thank God it isn't. <laughs> Satan's on a leash. He wants to do something to us. He's got to ask for permission. God, I want to, I want to put, I want to put them in a car wreck. God says, "No, that's not happening. You leave them alone. They've already had enough trials for for a little while. You just, you just, you, no way. Get out of here." Well, if I, can't, if I can't put them in a car wreck, can I have someone at church say something that they, they take wrong? Well, you can try that, I guess. And we take it wrong, and then we've got to decide whether we're going to forgive them or not. And we forgive, and Satan comes back. Satan says, you see that? Or God says to Satan, you see that? Took care of that problem. Yeah, but I really wanted to do this other thing. Pouting like a two-year-old. Satan has no power over us when we are hidden behind the defenses of Almighty God. I like what Martin Luther said, one little word shall fell him. (laughs) One little word. I, I just love it. I just love it. I mean, the, wor- the Lord creates this whole universe with the power of his words, and then he says to us, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you the power to fell your greatest enemy by just speaking a word. Isn't that, wonder- isn't that just amazing how God is wanting to bring us up to, not to quite to his level, but, but he's made us in his image and he's given us the sa- same creative power and the power of the enemy. One little word shall fail him. It's not the power of our voice. It's not the power of our words, but it's behind the power of that word. It's all the host of heaven and all the power of God. We've got a... We've got a great enemy, but we've got a much, 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 much greater God. It's a prayer of defense. Lord, hide me in the strong power. Lord, cover me with your wings. Keep me, Jesus, as the apple of thine eye. I don't think Jesus was used by the psalmist, but 
Lord, keep me as the apple of thine eye. I mean, all the way through scriptures, there are prayers and promises of God being our refuge. Spend some time in Psalms 91. Spend some time meditating and thinking about how the Lord, He is good. How He goes before us and He doesn't fail. And He doesn't forsake. We are protected by Almighty God. He is our defense. The scripture ends. The Lord's Prayer ends. And there's some debate on whether this was actually part of Part of the Lord's Prayer. Some people think it was added. There's some manuscripts, ancient manuscripts that included it. Some don't. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is our refuge. His kingdom. His power. His glory. All those things. As I was as I was working through this series, I came to an incredible realization. Jesus isn't just teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to live. It's not just to pray and remind ourselves that we have a relationship with God. He's our Father. But He wants us to live as though God is our Father. It isn't that God, just for us to realize that God is in control of everything, but He wants us to live as though God has complete control of us. It isn't that we just pray that the Lord would supply our needs, but, but that we would in all things rely on Him. It isn't that we just go through uh, 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 the process of, of wanting to have a, re uh, a reconciliation with God, but that, that God wants us to live in harmony with all of, of, his, uh, of God's people and, and even the people of this world and harmony with himself. This is the way that God wants us to live. It isn't that God just wants us to know that there's a refuge, but he wants us to dwell in the refuge of God. God Jesus is not just teaching us to pray. He's teaching us how to live. And I look back at, at Psalms 23, and David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want anything. You say, you changed that, preacher. That's... It's important for us to, we, I shall not want, makes it sound like in the future somewhere. It's, I'm not wanting anything right now. I don't know how David got there, but I do know that you and I can get there if we believe what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, that God has that available for you, and He has it available for me. If I can live these, four, these five R's, if I can not only pray them, but live them, if you could get there, you will be able to say with David, I don't want anything because I have found in the Lord's prayer, I have found in God everything I have need of. It's already here. It's already here. We don't have to live as spiritual beggars. We don't have to get to heaven by the skin of our teeth. We don't have to struggle day to day. 
The Lord wants to give us life and life more abundant. He didn't say, I'm going to make you conquerors. He said, I'm going to make you more than conquerors. And I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons that God's people are living so below the resources of heaven is because we haven't gotten a hold of these truths, these five basic principles of prayer. We haven't gotten a hold of it, and so we're living as spiritual paupers when we have all the resources of heaven backing us up. You can have a million dollars in the bank, but if you live in a cardboard box on the street, it's not doing you any good. And spiritually speaking, we've got more than a million dollars in the bank, and it doesn't do us any good to be staying in, in, a, in a spiritual cardboard box on the street and, and say, well, we're being spiritual. You're not being spiritual when God has more for you. And so oftentimes in our prayers, we ask God for health and we ask Him for things and, 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 God, and we need those things. And I'm not preaching against that. But oh, the riches in Christ Jesus that's available to us, if we just get a hold of those things and start praying for those things, God would take care of the health and He'd take care of, of those uh, uh, things that we have need of. He, I believe that those stuff He would just take care of. Now, I'm not preaching health and wealth. I'm just saying those things would, would lose their appeal in our prayer time. Oh, for the riches of wisdom. Oh, for the riches of grace. Oh, for the riches of joy and patience and peace. Oh, for the riches of long-suffering and temperance. Oh, for the riches of careful living Oh, for the riches that are found in our Lord. Oh, that we would get a hold of what God is offering us right here in this little prayer that we have memorized, but we take so little notice of. And we're missing out. The Lord knows we have need of food. He knows that we have need of shelter. He knows that. In fact, he says that God knows you have need of those things. You don't have to worry about it. But what we, know, what we fail to remember is we have need of being hidden in the shadow of the Almighty. And oh, that God would help us to remember that's our greatest need. I hope and I pray that as we've studied this Lord's Prayer that, that each one of us will realize that there's so much more to prayer than Lord Heal my sick loved one, and that's important. Lord, take care of our financial needs, and that's important. But I hope that what we really understand is, Lord, help me to know you. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to remember you're in control, even when this world feels like it's out of control. Help me to know the riches that I have in Lord Jesus. I don't want to be a pauper. I don't want to live like a spiritual pauper when God has given me the full resources of heaven. If only I'd take hold of them. If only I'd take hold. He has so much for us. He has so much for us. When it comes to your finances, it's good to live below your means. But I want you to know when it comes to spiritual things, it's, you can't live above your means. It's not possible. 
Praise God. Let's stand together. Amen. Lord, thank you for laying this series on my heart. And thank you for the help that it's given me. And I trust that it's helped others too. Lord, help us to find our refuge in you. The world has, offers a lot of refuges. They, uh, uh, they offer uh, the addictions. They offer uh, the pleasures of this world. And, and they make us feel good for a little while. And then we wake up and we are worse than we were before we ever started. But when we find our refuge in you, there's no regrets the next morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for opening up the treasure house of heaven to meet our needs. Lord, help us to be people that pray for the things that matter most. The riches of heaven and not the riches of this world. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You're dismissed.